0: When you're starting out, it's hard to tell high-quality wine from a bottle of Plunk. It can also get really expensive. Boy, have I found that out lately by looking at my bank statements. I did a lot of research to find a better way to buy quality wine without breaking the bank, and that's how I discovered an awesome website called Last Bottle Wines. Last Bottle Wines has fostered personal relationships with wineries across the world and offer one bottle of high-quality wine a day at 30 to 70% off. When the bottle is gone, it's gone. New day, new bottle, new savings. I recently ordered a Spanish Tempranillo. This wine normally retails for $74, and I got it from Last Bottle Wines for only $32. It's not a wine club, so there's no fees. Shipping is affordable and can even be free. You know, Mason and I are always after the best wines at the best price. We want you to enjoy the same deal. That's why we got you this special offer. Some of our listeners have already taken advantage of the deal and are loving the experience. All you need to do is go to lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off your first purchase while helping your favorite wine and liberty podcast. That's LastBottleWines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off a delicious bottle of wine at 30 to 70% off. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Mason, what are you sipping on tonight? I am sipping on
1: actually the, um, Pendernalis Sellers uh, mm. 2016 that you got me, not the reserve that you sent to, uh, Mark Claire. Okay. So I'm finishing that bottle now because apparently in the last, uh, two and a half hours, my sense of taste has come back oh, good. much better. Uh, like, I mean, I actually made a really good dinner and didn't taste that much, but I definitely taste the wine.
0: Good. Okay. Now that you taste a little bit better, uh, what are you thinking about it?
1: I'm thinking I screwed up and accidentally, uh, Ripped the cork in half and got a lot of cork
0: dust in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to, no. you got to like, well, here's a trick for the listeners, everybody. This is uh, Jake and Mason, by the way. Uh, we mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of doing it, trying to do a, a little bit of a different intro since we're re- doing a little. I mean, we're 60 episodes in. Yeah. That's true. It's not really <laughs> rebranding, but like I redid the website this week mm-hmm. and I'm trying, I'm trying to get. Our intros and our all the stuff that's pre-recorded, like sorted out, so the show sounds better for everyone. And you know, we're getting these top-notch guests like Mark Claire now, so mm-hmm. I got I got to get that sorted out. And I've got a couple of pretty good interviews lined up with uh, winemakers. One in particular that I'm really excited about, I'm going to be doing on the 10th or the 11th of April. It's with a guy in Oregon who does, and he's actually got an amazing story. He's been in the wine industry since the 80s, and mm-hmm. now he does biodynamic wine and he this is going to be really cool you and i've touched on biodynamic wine before with jackson quite yeah quite a few times and we've talked about it with jackson mm-hmm. and uh finally we're going to have a, a like a genuine expert on it uh in in the in the show but uh, i'm glad though that your taste came back so that you could try that because i really like that uh tempranillo i think it's one of the one of the better ones here yeah it's, well actually um, there's a lot of good ones here but <laughs> i was gonna say like
1: you know, Jacob, you, you have a consistent thing with movies where there's no bad movie. That's true. <laughs> there there really isn't a bad wine for you. I mean, yeah, there are some like, you know, you don't go in for the super gory movies. You know, there yeah. are movies you just just straight avoid. And there are certain wine types that you just straight avoid because, you know, yeah. they're Super sugary.
0: I did but. have one uh, not too long ago. I even did a review of it, but that I, I just didn't finish the bottle. I did think it was interesting. This is sort of the same thing with me and movies, though, is with me and wine. Is I can find something positive to say about every wine. Mm-hmm. It's just that some, like you said, there's just some that are just not, not really for me. I, I don't really want to get them again. Uh, and actually, that kind of leads me into my wine this week.
1: mm Um, Wait, hang on. Yeah. we were going to give our listeners a cork dust. Oh, right. That's right. A suggestion.
0: Yeah. So this is, so what you do, if you actually, if you get a little cork dust in there or you kind of, you and I've done this a couple of times where we've mangled the cork so bad we had to kind of use a knife to drill it out Mm -hmm. and the, and I learned this actually recently. I think I learned it from Jackson actually is uh when that happens you can take a coffee filter if you have one and pour it through the coffee filter when it's going into your glass Mm -hmm. and that'll keep the cork dust in the bottle or it'll catch it in the coffee filter so that you don't have to deal with that that's
1: a very reasonable idea and the coffee filter is not gonna like strain it too much so it it might take some particulates out if you have a high sulfate wine or something like that but yeah yeah, that really wouldn't change the flavor too much because coffee filters don't add anything even though they have a certain smell.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're like, you know, and actually some wines, um, they do have particulate matter in them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I actually have a filter that we, I think we reviewed once, um, Mm -hmm. on here that is pretty cool filter. It does take out a lot of sulfates and or sulfites. Is it sulfates or sulfites?
1: I want to say it's sulfates, but okay. You know, it might not be
0: okay. Well, whichever it is, it does. <laughs> it's it, it says it takes those out, but it, the filtering it gives it a really nice um, sort of finish polish. It also oxidizes it a little bit, and it's over there. I I, I can't remember what it's called, but it is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Uh, so that actually, that's how I do it. And I did have one recently where somehow I mangled the cork because mm-hmm. I was, I was using, you know, my, my uh, opener, that's like a pump mm-hmm. and I'm actually not as keen on that as I was when I first got it. Cause it doesn't seem to work very well now. I think it like wears out really quickly maybe. Hmm. And
1: mine hasn't, well, I mean, half of the, so the, the bulk thing of wine, my parents got me. Half of them are corked, half of them are screw bottle caps. Mm-hmm. So I don't use it as frequently. I also don't drink as much wine as you do, just in general. That's true. Uh, like mine works pretty well. The problem is like when you because I don't have a stopper like you do. Oh yeah. Like if I recork it, then I have to use pliers basically to pull it out because it doesn't mm. create enough of a seal to right. recork it to use the pump again.
0: Okay, I mean that makes sense. So yeah. I yeah I use those I use those vacuum sealers which are pretty cheap I should send you some of those for your birthday Nah
1: or something. I mean I I kept looking at them on Amazon seeing them cheap as dirt and I just kept going like add it to the cart add it to the cart right add yeah. it to the cart and didn't I'll I'll do it eventually but like part of the problem is like I said a lot of the wines that I have are screw bottle cap ones which I mean you probably should um you know vacuum pump those as well but
0: yeah I, mean, I also if you, you know, if you drink them within three to five days, it's going to be fine.
1: Yeah. I, I rarely have a bottle open that isn't like cooking wine or something like that. That does, mm-hmm. that stays out open for more than seven days. I and mean, then, you know, seven days is a lot, but you do see some interestingness to like, not the cheapest wines. Cause those taste pretty skunky, yeah. but like the mid tier wines, they sometimes they age really interesting with the extra oxidization or whatever it is over those days.
0: Well, I think there's, you know, this, we went over this actually, and I mentioned this in the show before I take those wine classes with, Mm uh, Elizabeth from, um, wine for normal people. Mm -hmm. And and she's talked about that before with, with some of the, uh, in the Bordeaux class in particular with some of the French wines with the, the kind of the lower quality Bordeaux's that Mm -hmm. if you open them up, and then just kind of put the cork back in and leave them on the on the top of your refrigerator or whatever for a day or two. A lot of times they'll open up, they'll taste a lot better that second day than they do that night. Mm-hmm. And it's just get a little bit of extra oxygen in there, not too much, because you put the cork back in, but a little bit in there, let it mellow out, let it open up, and you'll get, you know, a little bit higher quality wine. Now you're only gonna be able to keep it up there on the fridge for, like I said, three to five days or you know, wherever you're putting it three to five days and then it's, you know, not going to be great after that. But, uh, yeah, there, it, a lot of the flavor develops, a lot of the aroma develops, but you know, one thing that you mentioned, um, with, well, well actually a couple things that you mentioned was <laughs> one was wine club mm-hmm. and I'm drinking a wine club wine, wine tonight. You are. Yes. And, um, this was actually, I, you know, cause you know, I do the wall street journal wine. I actually, I might cancel my wall street journal wine because actually we're going to go over it right now. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that the Wall Street Journal wine or wine clubs in general are good, and we've gone over wine clubs before, but I kind of wanted to just sort of touch on them again, and since mm-hmm. I'm drinking a wine club wine tonight, I figured we would just kind of recap it as, you know, before we go into our article for this week, uh, or it's not really an article, but our subject for this week, but so what I'm drinking tonight is called a Full Rack Special Blend California 2017. It's 14.1% ABV, which I thought was interesting that they... Added that point one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen it before, but it's just whenever they don't do it like at fourteen or at fourteen point five, that's always interesting to me. Yeah, when it,
1: when it's not you know the full or a half mark, yeah, that's, that's
0: very odd. Yeah, yeah. So this wine, it comes from my my uh, Wall Street Journal Wine Club, and I this is actually only the second shipment I've gotten from Wall Street Journal Wines because I I had it switched to quarterly and then I squ- I skipped one quarter. So it's been a long time, and I just forgot to cancel this one, actually, or forgot to postpone it because I have way more wine than I could possibly drink. But this one, I'll I'll give a review of the taste, but one of the things that I do on the Wall Street Journal wines is I try to go look up the wines and see what they cost and know if I got a good deal or not. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult on some of them to figure out any information about them. Yeah. So this wine is bottled by a company called Incognito Wines. They're in Gazerville, California. Mm-hmm. Do you know where Gazerville is?
1: Um no. No, I don't.
0: Okay. So Gazerville, I, I didn't I didn't know it either until I looked it up. It's it's about it's about an hour or so north of Napa, and it's okay. it's where uh, the Francis Ford Coppola winery is, which is okay. a semi-famous winery from the director. I guess he owns it. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so uh, George Lucas talked him into buying that winery, I think.
0: Oh, really? That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it was like some sort of tax dodge or something like oh.
0: that. Oh, neat. Oh, I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, so the the. Incognito Wine Company doesn't actually have a forward facing website. And this does tend to be pretty common for wine club wines. What ends up happening is a large bulk supplier of wine, you know, the, the company that owns Francia, for example, which I think is called like American Wine Company or something like that.
1: Something along those lines, yeah.
0: Yeah. They'll they'll produce a huge amount of wine some really low quality and they'll they'll put that in their Francia because that's what people expect. Some kind of mid-tier bottom-of-the-shelf wine with white labels and then they'll produce, you know, whatever their kind of nicer wine is. They're, you know, 20 plus dollar bottles of wine they got the bottom of the shelf grocery store wines which are like ten dollars and a lot of those they'll just leave white labels they'll sell these wines to, to wine clubs the wine clubs will make a label for it something cool like this one called uh full rack it's actually it's actually not a bad label it's very attractive to me it's a red label it's got a grill on it like one of those like uh dome grills kind of like the one you have mm, um
1: yeah like uh a- like Weber.
0: Yeah, like a Weber, right. It's got a Weber grill Mm -hmm. on it. It it just, it's very inviting. And honestly, this is, this is a good wine for if you were grilling out. Um, and and like I said, I'll get into flavors, but anyway, so they'll, they'll sell these. Somebody will create a label and then they'll go ahead and mark up that and they'll sell it to their wine club subscribers. And, And I think this is what, uh, wall street journal wine does they're actually the supplier for wall street journal wine is a wholesale club that actually that uh wall street journal wines is one of the faces of a couple of different companies that are a couple of different wine clubs that you can subscribe to and the supplier is the same mm-hmm. and And they'll change up the labels based on what they're trying to promote basically so yeah but, and so you know and i don't think it's shady or anything it's just that that's just, yeah, yeah it's the way that they do it and they do and honestly like I think this was fine for what I paid. I got a a good deal. So I'll kind of go into the flavors. This is a quintessential red wine blend. Mm -hmm. It's fruity. It's not very tannic. It's light-bodied. Uh, it tastes just like dark black fruit. It's exactly what a red table wine, what you would expect from a red table wine. It doesn't have the, you know, t- a very strong tannic flavor can be very, not offensive exactly, but for somebody who doesn't like that, it, it it's just in their face and they're not going to like it. This is a very, it's very, yeah, it's off-putting. It's very generic wine taste. It's just tastes like red wine. It's not bad. It's not like, like I don't want to disparage Franzia. Car likes Franzia. A lot of people like Franzia, um, but it's not that level of wine. Yeah, it's, 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 it's
1: more red wine than that. Franzia yeah. is one of those things where it's like, it has the, it's one of those weird things where it's like, you have the notes of red wine in it, which is good. Mm-hmm. But you also have the notes of sweetness, which is very odd for reds of yeah. that varietal. Yes. Like, or of those... Grape types, whereas like you know, you can have some sweet reds in like the dessert category, or some of the more exotic like Georgians. Like I'm sure they have some sweet reds.
0: Yeah, they do. Um, and that's I, and not I've the had idea some, yeah.
1: with this. Like this is like generic red wine, just mm-hmm. happens to be sweet because that's kind of the American.
0: But yeah. So, so anyways, kind of going back to the wine club thing. So. Mm-hmm. These are. I made some notes in my, you know, on on our show notes page just so I could go over this and not forget it. Wine clubs. You're part of a wine club because your parents got it for you. Uh, not not technically. It was a wine. It's like a
1: wine distribution website. Okay. Kind of like Last Bottle, but different. Okay. Um, and this was just their, um. 2018 best hits, you know, kind oh, of okay. thing, right. but I am part of a wine club from what my wife got me for the year for my birthday, Oh, okay. but that's the gold club and I haven't done any of them. But, mm-hmm. um, since you're going to be doing something adventurous and fun next weekend, I may do a solo, um, episode on the Carmenari that oh, I got perfect. from that. Cause I've been sitting on that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah,
0: and by the way, speaking of pronunciations in Carmenari, I think that we've been saying it wrong. I think it's Carmenere. Yes, I think Jackson
1: has uh, okay. said Carmenere, um, oh. which because I said is a it, very pretty name. Yeah, like I really like that name.
0: Yeah, well, because we did at the last uh, wine class that I did with Elizabeth Snyder from last uh, from mm-hmm. uh, Wine for Normal People, she, we did South America. And mm-hmm. Chile does Carmen, Carmenere is what I've been calling Carmenier. it, but they do yeah. Carmenere and she was pronouncing it Carmenere.
1: Yeah. She, and, but she also said in the one, the one we did together that, uh, her pronunciation is terrible too, but oh, okay. it's like when Jackson says his pronunciation is terrible, it's like, yeah, you may be totally wrong, but you have such authority when you say <laughs> I'm just going saying yeah.
0: it. That's true. For wine clubs, these are the advantages that I see and the disadvantages that I see. And so you guys can take this as you will. One more note on this wine before I move on. The reason I chose to do this wine, um, aside from just it, I thought it was a good time to revisit wine clubs, is because I have gotten a little bit of response on Twitter. So if you guys are listeners, I am on Twitter a lot. I will respond if you guys uh, want to private message me, you can, or, or direct message me. Or if you just want to post on our page, that's fine too. You can also reach me, uh, tastinganarchy at gmail.com, and I will respond to that. One of the comments that I got on Twitter from a direct message was and I don't know if this person wants to be, you know, called out or whatever on the on the podcast, so I won't say their name. But uh, they were saying they like it better when we do wines that are like sub fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will. That is not really where I am at in my in my wine right now, but I do still get them occasionally, and so mm-hmm. I will make it a point to make sure that I could, that we do sub fifteen dollar wines at least once or twice a month, mm-hmm. um, just because if that's what if that's what the listeners want. We want to please the listeners so
1: and and that's kind of my price point not uh, well my price point is sub 20 still but I have so much wine that I didn't pay for right that I've got to get through
0: yeah I mean at this at this point <clears throat> I do I do st- I do, I also try to stay well I try to stay about sub 25 but lately I've been kind of getting up there so yeah yeah <laughs> um, and, and actually a lot of it's because last bottle wines has such good deals mm-hmm and I've been getting like seventy, like seventy four dollar bottle, like seventy four dollar bottles of wine for like thirty, oh, and man. it's and they're great deals. They're really good wines. Like, and mm-hmm. I think you and I have talked a little bit about it. Um, some of them are interesting. Well, let, let, let me get into my advantages and disadvantages, and yeah. maybe, maybe we'll get into that later. So, mm-hmm. the advantages that I see with a wine club, and these are the things that I've really enjoyed about being part of the Wall Street Journal Wine Club, is. Uh, it takes a lot of guessing out of looking for wine when you're a beginner or you're just kind of starting out and you don't really know what to find. Um, you, if Like like me, when I first signed up for this, I knew I liked reds. And I had an idea of a lot of the reds I liked. So I, I knew I liked Cab Sauv. I knew I liked Cab Franc. Uh, I think maybe by that time we had discovered Carmenere uh, mm-hmm. and maybe Tempranillo. Tempranillo. Uh,
1: maybe not on that.
0: Okay. So I knew that I liked reds. I knew I liked dry reds. And... On Wall Street Journal Wine, you have the option to only get those, and they'll just send you twelve bottles of red, and it'll be a variety pack of a whole bunch of different things. and it's a good way to develop your palate. Um, there's there's still reds in there that I'm not crazy about. I, I'm still not a huge fan of Merlot or Malbec. They're okay, and and I like them a lot better now than I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I kind of understand it better, and yeah, also I like
1: Malbec a lot, but yeah, but okay. it but but it tastes like the blend. So like when I want yeah. just a regular red wine.
0: Yeah, exactly. That And that's kind of, maybe that's why I don't like it as much. It's just not, a, it doesn't, it's not as interesting to me mm-hmm. and, but it's, it's good. Like if somebody was serving Malbec at, at a dinner and if it was either very inexpensive or free, yeah, sure. I'd, I'd take that. That's good. Uh, there, and there are, and there are some sweeter wet red wine or white wines that I just wouldn't take at all. So, mm-hmm. um, so from that standpoint if you if you're just getting into wine and you don't really know, but you kind of have a general idea of what you know but you you can and also actually you can get the you can get the mixed orders too, where or you can get some whites and some reds even if you, if you have no idea what you like mm-hmm. and Uh, And often it's a really good deal. Like I think the first one that I got from Wall Street Journal Wines was like eighty bucks for fourteen bottles Mm -hmm. of wine, and two of the bottles were actually very good bottles. They were forty dollars bottles of wine, and they actually sell them at the grocery store. So I knew they were they were forty dollars bottles of wine. They have uh, now, granted, this is sort of the Lidl situation that you and I ran into before, where there's the Lidl version of that wine, and then the Mm -hmm. normal wine store version of that wine what the difference is. I'm not a hundred percent sure the labels are different. Everything that it says on the label is the same, but the colors and the label and the, and the design is slightly different. So not really sure the, the difference, but the, but you know, they were, they were very good wines. I had, I had one of them. If you go back to the Nate episode, when I first came to Texas, um, Mm -hmm. that in that episode, he and I shared the bottle together and it was, it was a really good experience. We both really liked it. I still have one up in the shelf. I might break it out actually maybe i'd break it out with you when you come when you come out for childeberg
1: i think we're gonna have so much darn wine yeah because i mean we're gonna drink a thousand dollar bottle of wine yeah. for that so i uh, you know <laughs> it's gonna
0: be an event mm-hmm. okay well yeah The second, I mean, you know, yeah. either way <laughs> yeah yeah the second advantage uh that i think is that it's just kind of fun to uh to get something like that just to end and to not know what's in there. It's also a really good gift to give other people that you know drink and but are not really inclined to buy wine for themselves. So mm-hmm. if you know, I, I would have no problem giving you a hundred dollar order of wall street journal wines, right? So a hundred dollar order, you get 14 bottles like in that first one. And you know, that's it. So you get the $14, you get the 14 bottles and that's, you know, less than a hundred dollar gift for you. And it's a really fun gift. So you kind of look like a champion. So those, those two are the, are I think the main advantages of having a, a wine club subscription or just sending a one-off wine club, like bulk thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you think of any others, Mason? So,
1: I think elaboration on the, the second point is mm-hmm. one of the things that is very hard when, like, you know, we started the show because we wanted to know more about wine. We didn't want to be hoity-toity wine snobs necessarily. well We're kind of hoity-toity as it is, but um, we didn't want to be, you know, it's hard to tell, like, what you should be drinking. And one of the advantages of a wine club is, yeah, there are some where they're offloading just garbage wine, you know, to... Because that's just the way the model works. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, and like this is kind of borne out, in, you know, in your and I's opinion, a lot is if you don't necessarily know that it's trash wine, you may not think it's trash wine. So you kind of have this good experience, and you you get the fun of somebody kind of doing the work for you. Because that's one of the things that was very hard. A lot that you and I kind of struggled at the beginning of the series is going into total wine and going like, okay, I know I like. You know, for me, I I know I like Riesling. I'm literally just going to buy every Riesling that's under twenty five dollars. Yeah. Until we're basically Jacobs, like, if you bring another Riesling or Pinot Grigio here, I'm going to hit you
0: with the bottle, <laughs> you know, which
1: never happened.
0: No, no. But
1: that's kind of the idea is, like, you know, it was, we didn't know that, like, you know, especially with Riesling and it's a little harder, like, you know, you're not going like, oh, this one has grown on the right bank of the Rhine and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. blah. Like the, you link it with the Jackson, you know, his left bank of Bordeaux. And it's it's very clear why he likes that, especially mm-hmm. when you talk to him about
0: it. Well, and and, but, and you, and I, I don't know about you. You as much, but like the, now that I've had left bank, right bank, uh, you know, and a lot of the different regions in Bordeaux, it, it, mm-hmm. it has become much more clear to me what the difference is. And, yeah. and it is, it is starkly different. Like I've, I've learned that I like Madoc and I'm not crazy about much of the other Bordeaux, although I do recognize that they're high quality wines.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that like is really interesting about the idea of the wine club is there's something about the presentation of someone picked these somebody went through the work to produce this product and you know like i think people take a level of pride in their work you know what i mean like yeah it's not like they're going like (laughs) like this cost us 10 nickels and we're shilling this guy for 400 dollars or something like the wine club that my wife got me like it comes with a like placard about Chile. It kind of came with two different types of pepper that are like South American plants. They're not pepper plants, but right. they're like pepper. It came with local made chocolates. It came with two hot sauces. Like it came with this extra information. So like with wine clubs, you can get these extra parts to the package. It's not just about the wine. Some of them are like, you learn about the culture. Some of them have like very specific things that you're looking for. And it, especially like, as you know, you and I have, you know highlighted very frequently on the show sometimes it's really difficult to procure good wine let's say
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like you may only have the local food line or farm fresh because there's not a total wine there's not a yanni's wine shop like a local local one but your state does allow interstate shipping And you can get a wine club to ship you something. Yeah. You know, so you can get these really exotic things. I think one of the, and I think you might go into this, but you might not. I think one of the disadvantages of the wine club is like where your tastes are currently. Like you are so into exploring Texas wine. There's not really like a Texas wine club yet. You know, there's a, mm-hmm. obviously there's an Apple wine club. I mean, you can find stuff like that all the time, but like that, mm-hmm. one of the disadvantages I think mainly with the wine club is you're not picking. And like, that's one of those, it's the advantage, like you're not picking, somebody else is doing the work for you, but it's also the disadvantage when you're like, man, I'm really been on like a Carmenier, like kick. Yeah. Well, it's going to be hard to find a wine club that only does Carmeneres. Now maybe one day, like the Jackson Blood uh, Wine Club that you and I will like be behind the scenes trying to run for him or something, we'll do some, you know crazy stuff like that. We'll lose money hand over fist, but right, you know, like that's the the big disadvantages I see to me is like you know I got the the set for my parents and it's like okay I have no idea what like half of these are. Like, yeah,
0: well, and that's fun, but you're right. But you know I, I didn't put that in my disadvantages, but you're right that is a that is an interesting disadvantage because it, it's kind of as your tastes evolve, you, you're getting twelve bottles of something that maybe you don't want. Mm-hmm. Um and, and you know you don't want because you've had enough to drink that you know that you're not you're just not crazy about these varietals. So that is a disadvantage. Uh let's go ahead and actually, you know, on that note, let's go ahead and get into the disadvantages that I wrote down. Um mm-hmm. that was a good one because I, I didn't I didn't think about that one. Um but like so one of the other disadvantages is uh quality can be questionable. So in And this is, and my wine is a good example of that. I don't think it's a terrible quality wine. It's fine, but I could find no information about it, which is kind of my second disadvantage in this is it's very, very difficult sometimes in the, the uncurated, I guess, clubs is Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of difficult to find it because they, they tend to be white label wines that you don't know where the grapes came from. Uh, in this case, I know they came from California, but the only reason I know they came from California is because of labeling laws. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: and even then, it's only 90%.
0: Yeah, exactly. When, and actually, I think in California, if it's it, it doesn't even have to be only 90%. It's as long as some of the grapes come from California and the rest of the grapes come from an adjoining state, they're fine. So it, it, this could actually be like... 60% working, who knows?
1: <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, even then, it may not actually, it may be more or less because they may not be able to do that club in California because of mm-hmm. some of the labeling they do, you know, like that's right. the super bizarre thing. Like it's very unlikely yeah. given how big California is.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I would, I, my guess on this, honestly, like the way it tastes, you know what this reminds me of, and I may be super biased on this because it's because it's bottled by a company called Incognito Wine. Mm-hmm. Michael, uh, not Michael Jackson, <laughs> um, David Michael Winery, the ones that make Freak Show. Yeah. They have a red blend called Incognito
1: uh-huh.
0: that actually tastes similar to this. It's huh. it's a lot more tannic than this, but... Yeah, the,
1: their wines are kind of aggressive.
0: They are very aggressive. Well, it's, and they're, they're Lodi wines. Lodi t- tends to be pretty aggressive. It's it's hot. Mm-hmm. It's hot there. And they also tend to be very high alcohol. And this one is fairly high. It's 14.1%. So, I mean, that
1: could be 13 to... 15 yeah. yeah
0: yeah so yeah it could be it could be very high but um so yeah so that's kind of one of the disadvantages you're not you don't really know it's hard to find information about it i don't really know where this came from who i know who bottled it but i don't know what the winemaker is where it came from all that sort of stuff and, and mm. that and that's kind of part of the wine experience that i enjoy is just kind of exploring where it came from who was doing what and that kind of thing and, and this I, I just don't know and, and again i'll probably finish the bottle this was good it, it's, i've had only like one or two that i just didn't finish the bottle bottle at all, mm-hmm. uh, cause I didn't like it, but this one I like fine. This is, this would be great for, you know, if I had more, more opportunity to grill out and stuff here, this would mm-hmm. be something I would probably bring to like a cookout.
1: What about cooking with it?
0: I could red. I could do that, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's not a bad red blend. I could do like a roast or something with like yeah. uh, like a red wine gravy. Um, yeah, that's, yeah that might be good. good yeah, that might be good. Uh, maybe I'll try that. Uh, and then I guess the um, the third disadvantage which we already kind of covered earlier was that uh, sometimes it's just relabeled bulk wine. so mm-hmm. so sometimes you it's it what they're giving to you and saying is a sixteen dollar bottle of wine is actually like an $8 bottle of wine. It's just well, been relabeled.
1: It's it's 16 cuz of like the manufacturing cost, you know, like yeah. the like oh this was an $8 bottle of wine before we spent the, you know, to for the 10,000 that we were going to produce the the labeling and everything like that jacked up the price. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, one thing though that kind of takes a lot of this guesswork out and it it's a, it's different cuz you're not going to get the variety that you get from a lot of these wine clubs. But we have a link that'll get you $10 off at Last Bottle Wines, and all of the wine that they have is curated, so mm-hmm. we, you, you know that it's high-quality wine. They have partnered with a lot of the wineries, that they, that they uh, their wine that they sell, and they have good relationships, so they're basically able to get these wines at a severe discount, and they kind of pass those savings on to you. So I've been getting a ton of stuff from Last Bottle Wines lately, and like way more than I probably should. And, uh, but it's such good savings. Like I got that, that Cabernet Franc, which was a Napa Cabernet Franc. Um, it's called like 2040 or something like that. I have to look up what it's called again. uh, But it's like a $75 bottle of Cab Franc Mm -hmm. from Napa. Napa Cab Francs are really expensive. But you know, Mason, I I love Cab Franc. Mm -hmm. And uh, Loire is actually my favorite place for Cab Franc. But I really like a lot of the ones that come out of Napa. And this one is so well-structured. At first, I wasn't really crazy about it because I was like, well, it doesn't have like that punch in the face that I like. And then after like I was sipping on it for a, a day or two, I was like, you know what? I really, really appreciate how the structure on this is. And I think I got that for like thirty bucks, mm-hmm. like a seventy, like a seventy-five, almost well, seventy-four or seventy-five dollar bottle of wine for like thirty dollars. And if you use our link, which is lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy, that's lastbottlewine.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy, you get ten dollars off, and you help out our show. To make it easier, I've actually redone the site a little bit. And right now, if you go to Tasting... And by an- by site, he means... Okay, yeah, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, That's all right. Yeah, if you go to tastinganarchy.com, when you get onto that page, the the very first like splash will just be kind of an explanation of the show. But if there's mm-hmm. going to be... On your computer, there'll be three sections below it. The middle section is our Last Bottle of Wine link. You click that, it'll take you right to the Last Bottle Wine sign-up page. And you can sign up there. It's uh, going to help us out. And help us get some, you know, high quality wines that we can try out on the show and review for you. And you also get high quality wine for $10 off. So, exactly. that, And so, it's a good deal. But so, go check that out. And also, just check out the site because I put some work into redoing it. And I think it looks a lot better than the old site.
1: I, uh, I think it's definitely brought us into the modern age.
0: Yeah. It's a lot cleaner. I, yeah. It's just, it's easier to navigate. Um, you know, I based it off of the template that I used for Schilderberg. Mm-hmm. So, I think we mentioned Schilderberg already today. But just for those of you who don't know, Mason and I, our podcast, Tasty Anarchy, is sponsoring. Well, with the with the Friends Against Government podcast, we're sponsoring Childeberg, which is the premier the child of Jacob. Like
1: I, I, you have talked to me about this for so long. Well,
0: no, so and I don't know if you recall this. The this I came up with this idea mm-hmm. when I was in my old apartment in Norfolk, mm-hmm. and it's based off of a tweet from Carr. That's
1: right. It yeah. was
0: based on a tweet from Carr. Yeah. yeah, and it was just basically the tweet said said something like in June when the when the Bilderberg meets, I think I'm going to have a counter protest called Childeberg. <laughs> it's basically just me in my apartment drinking. And I came up with so many ideas from that tweet for how to make it work. This is the culmination of it. Now it's been 2 years and we finally got it going. But now that I live here in Texas, I was like, "You know what? Texas has no libertarian event and there's a lot of really great wineries down in um like the Austin area. And Mm -hmm. I love, I love camping. I love hanging out on the lake. I love all those things. And I know that other libertarians and other people who are just interested in wine in general love it also. So I was like, let's get this going, make it an annual event. Let all the Friends Against Government fans come down. Let all the Tasting Anarchy f- friends come down. Let's just hang out, enjoy some good wine, enjoy the lake, fellowship as libertarians, and you know, meet new friends, have a good time. And mm-hmm. so we're doing that. You volunteered to drive the wine van. Yes. Which is going to be great. So if you want to drink a lot of wine at the three wineries we're going to visit, I don't want to announce them yet because I want to make sure that um, – Everything is okay. So it may, if right now it's three wineries, I just want to make sure that we can go to them because some of them have like a, a number of people's limit and stuff like that. They have a so. number
1: of people's limit. Some of them have uh, general dress code limits. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So, and, I, and you know, we don't want to be disturbing people. You know, mm-hmm. we want to, we want to represent ourselves.
0: Yeah. Well. Exactly. Yeah. You, look, we're representing libertarianism. It, it, <coughs> now, it's definitely going to get weird because, because Friends Against Government are there. Yeah. Um, uh Jacob. We're both weird as crap. That's <laughs> true. That's true. So but it's gonna be a really awesome event. I hope to see you all there. Yeah. Um so you, it's
1: June eighth and ninth mm-hmm. in Texas. Yep. Um Lake. Buchanan, Bo- yeah. Bo- Buchanan,
0: Buchanan, no Buchanan, like Pat Buchanan. Buch- yep.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, every time, every other time you've said it, you've always <laughs> an alternative pronunciations. I think. So. I think
0: also every time I type it, I type it differently. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the campground we're going to be at again? The campground is called Black Rock Campground. It's it's inside of Lolano County, or I'm sorry, Yiano County. The double mm-hmm. the double L in Spanish is is a Y sound. So it's yep. e, it's Iano County Camp or Iano County Park. Mm-hmm. Uh it's on the left bank of Lake Buchanan.
1: Okay. Also, did you know this lake like there there's like only one natural lake in Texas and this is an artificial reservoir lake. So That's it's right. created by the government. So we're going to go <laughs> dirty up the government's property. Right, right exactly. No, we're we're going to practice uh uh I forget the the phrase of it, but like basically you what you take in is what you take out.
0: Oh, well so, as Walter Block says, we're not, we're not taking advantage of the government having built the lake we're liberating the lake from the government
1: yeah but I'm, i said we're going to dirty it up we're not going to mm. we're not going to litter <laughs> like
0: no no we're going to leave a very clean campsite yeah. but anyways if you guys are interested go over to <coughs> go over to @childeberg on twitter or you can go over to the childeberg website it's childeberg.com mm-hmm. uh, i've got a newsletter sign up link if you sign up for that you will be getting newsletters and also i am working on a free ebook called your facebook friends are wrong about skipping childeberg Uh, (laughs) all all the tom woods so it's going that that free ebook is going to have all of the details (laughs) (laughs) you're murdering me (laughs) Oh my goodness! That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So that that will be. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you will be getting a link to download that, as well as some exclusive podcasts that will only be available for newsletter subscribers. Um, I carr has agreed to do a couple with me. Uh, I'm sure that we can get Bird on board. Also, Dino mm-hmm. from the Dino Files is going to do some with me. Mister Mister mm-hmm. Sue has agreed to do a couple of exclusives, and you and I, Mason, we're going to do a couple of, ex- of exclusives. Of uh, What you'll do is when that newsletter comes out, it will. Will give you a code and the code will give you access to those exclusive pods so sign up because you don't want to miss those they're going to be really great
1: yeah, and like there it's not going to be like there's an archive of them now
0: yep like, that's as right. tom
1: woods would say it's not like we won't ever release them but you know that's the thing so I, one of the things i want to point out about like this idea is like you and i both really want to go on the contra cruise. yeah but one of the things that is and it, this is not a knock against tom and bob but one of the problems with the Contra Cruise is there is a high cost to go on a cruise. Yeah. This is camping at a, a lake. Like, mm-hmm. you know, other than getting to Texas, and there are some people who are traveling some incredible distances apparently.
0: Yeah. Um, well, we, the- we've, we've got one guy who's, well, uh, you know, God forbid anything happens and he won't be able to make it, but he's coming from Oslo, Norway. Yeah. To to come out and hand, hang out with us. Uh, I don't want to plug him yet because I don't want to, like, put him on the spot, but he, yeah. he does have a blog that's actually very good. Uh, we also have a couple of people who are working on getting down from – all the way from Minnesota. Mason's coming out from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on getting Bird out, but I think Bird has school because he's he's still a youngster. And, uh, <laughs> and I think he's got school this summer, so he, he won't be able to come out. But a yeah. um, lot of people traveling, long distances to come. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: And if you can't come but you want to participate, Jacob. Isn't there a way they, they can help fund the shenanigans?
0: That is absolutely true. If you go to childerberg.com, you can give dr- directly to us on PayPal. Uh, you can also uh, pay through the GoFundMe campaign, uh, which is also – there's a link to that on Childeberg.com. If you would rather pay in crypto, you can contact the Childerberg Twitter at Childerberg. And I will put you into contact with uh, Carcampet and CarCampit can accept crypto payments. So I know that a lot of libertarians are very into crypto. Um, we would be more than happy to accept crypto payments. I can't process those because I'm a plebe, but, uh, but, but Car can. He's very into crypto. He knows how to process that. All right, Mason. So the last item that I want to get into before we end this episode, I don't want to go into super, super depth into it. Ah dang it! Because it's a very complex topic. It is a complex topic, and I and I have a guest that I'm trying to line up who knows a lot more about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is on the Texas House Bill four two three three. So I'll go ahead and summarize this for you. And so the bill is basically it's a legislation that if passed will require all wineries in Texas to label or uh, all all wines labeled in Texas as Texas wine to be made out of 100% Texas grapes and be processed and uh, fermented or, you know, made in Texas. Uh, So currently wines that are called Texas wines only require 75% of grapes to be used for the wine. The legislation is... um, well, the, the people who promote it are saying that it is consumer protection because people who are drinking a Texas wine should know that it is 100% Texas grapes. They are also arguing that the legislation um, will signal that Texas is ready to compete on the world stage as a international uh, wine <laughs> and and also that uh, Texas wine growers have uh, – and this is i guess the last item that is the summary of it is that the texas wine growers which is the association of texas wine growers uh mm-hmm. have endorsed the bill and so they believe that this sh- this should be so basically the legislation says that if you want to call your your wine uh texas wine it's got to be 100 texas grapes and you also have to make it in texas so i i do understand this position uh i don't like the idea that they feel like they need to go to the government for it, but I do understand. You know, people are saying, "Look, if this is a hundred, if this is a Texas wine, it needs to be a hundred percent Texas grapes." But you and I have discovered a lot of stuff about winemaking in general that makes this problematic, and I've got a couple of uh, counters from. I don't know if I should say who this is from because this is actually the guest I'm trying to line up, and I don't want to uh, spoil that. But I'm going to go ahead and say some of the points from an anonymous winemaker in Texas that made a lot of very strong points, I think, against this law. And so here are – They publicly posted these comments, In summary, Mason, you and I already know that any sort of government intervention – is no bueno it's not Mm -hmm. good you're you're inviting people into into your bed that you really don't want in your bed so here are the i guess counterpoints to this legislation so they say there are already wine growers in texas that use 100 percent texas grapes are you still there mason
1: yeah can you hear me
0: yeah i can again i just i thought i thought my
1: headphones fell out (laughs) no 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 like so i was i was trying to say um so the people who posted these comments, they posted these comments publicly, correct? Yes, they did. So I don't think it's wrong to state who it is because you're, you're summarizing their points.
0: Okay, okay. So this so. is okay. You're right, but I'd, I would like this. I'd li- I would like these people to come on and talk to this. So this is Siboney Cellars. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are a small winery in the, um, I think it's the Fredericksburg area in Texas. Uh, I, I would have to look up where they are. I'm not exactly sure, but it's, it's Texas Hill Country. So, mm-hmm. so their point was. That they already used 100% Texas grown grapes, and that is one of their selling points. So, do you remember Mason? Well, I, I'm sure you'll remember, but uh, you were not as involved in this as I was back in the days when Virginia was trying to make it illegal to allow smoking sections in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I I am not a fan of smoking, and I do not like it when people are smoking around me when I'm trying to eat. But I don't think that is the government's business. Correct. And so, what the libertarians of Virginia Beach were doing is, we were going around trying to get restaurants to support us in opposing that legislation. One of our strongest supporters was a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore called Atlas. Do you, do you remember Atlas?
1: I do, but I don't Got know it. why.
0: Okay. So they had several locations in Virginia Beach. One of <coughs> them, one of them was opposite uh, the Kelly's Tavern that we used to meet the, at the libertarian meetings. The very mm-hmm. first, the very first Kelly's Tavern.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so they had a restaurant there. Honestly, the food wasn't great. the mm-hmm. The service was pretty good. Uh, it was basically the same type of food as Kelly's. It was it was mm-hmm. okay. It was burgers and that kind of it was thing. Bar food. Yeah, bar food. Exactly. Their big selling point, though, was that they did not allow smoking, mm-hmm. and this made it a very, very popular location for families to go eat. And so they were big supporters. That they had banked on this this law. Is that a lot of the other restaurants allowed smoking sections? And Atlas said, "No, we don't allow smoking at all." And after church, I remember going there all the time with my family when I was a kid because they didn't have smoking. My mom is opposed to smoking. My dad is opposed to smoking. They don't. They don't like it. It smells bad, and it makes the food taste bad. So they wanted to go to restaurants that had no smoking sections, and Atlas had no smoking allowed. And it was they were a huge supporter of this. So Sydney Sellers, I think, has a very similar position. They already. <coughs> They already use 100% Texas-grown grapes. That is part of their marketing, mm-hmm. and this law is going to rob them of that marketing. So that's one, uh, that's one point that they made was that a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Texas growers already use 100% Texas grapes. They don't need the government to tell them to do it, and those who don't do it don't say that they use 100% grapes from Texas so um their their second I do not i i don't I, I'm not even actually saying these in order. these are just kind of like my summary of their of their mm-hmm. art, of their article. These
1: are, these are kind of how you position the the, their own argument,
0: right, yeah, so they had they also said what if what if we wanted to make like a sparkling wine, for example, and we don't really have the experience to do the sparkling wine we don't really have the equipment to do it either, but there's somebody who's willing to do it for a low cost that is in another state mm-hmm. if we send them grapes that we've acquired that are one hundred percent grapes from Texas and we send it to you know I'm making this up, but Arizona, for example, and these guys know how to make sparkling wine and they're very good at, it, they have the equipment, they have the safety knowledge. Uh, And they make it for us, and then they send us back the finished product. Isn't that 100% Texas? Mm -hmm. And they're saying, so this law makes it so that if you did that, it would not be a 100% Texas wine. Even though we, a Texas winemaker, wanted to make a sparkling wine out of Texas, we didn't have the equipment or facilities to do it. We found somebody who was willing to do it at a reasonable price that was out of state. We sent them the grapes. We were involved in the process as Texas residents but this is not a Texas wine because of these new laws. So, and what do we label it? Then there, another one was they said that the AVA rules, which are the federal regulation on this, which, you know, you and I are not fans of the federal regulation, but the Mm -hmm. AVA rules don't require 100% grapes. So if you produce a wine, this is my example. If you produce a wine that's 80% Texoma grapes, so Texoma is a wine region that is north of Dallas. It's on the border of Oklahoma and Texas, hence the name Texoma. And so if you produce one that's 80% Texoma grapes and 20% grapes from a different state, the AVA, AVA rules say that you can call it a Texoma grape mm-hmm. or you can call it a Texoma wine, uh, which is a region in Texas. So how would you label that at that point? Exactly. So you, would you not be able to say that Texoma, AVA Texoma, and then just say Texas? Because like when you label a wine Willamette Valley, you say Oregon, but in, in according to this law, they would not be able to call it Texas, but they'd be able to call it a wine region in texas which sort mm-hmm. of which sort of leads to the next point texas is an enormous state second biggest state i think after alaska
1: it is indeed
0: and what does that even mean if it's if it's a texas if it's 100 texas grown grapes the hill country is completely different than the high plains region the high plains region is very different from texoma there's the uh, uh davis mountain region uh which is a desert region it's again very different so if they got some of their grapes from each of these regions and i think there's some other regions too that i'm not including but if they got some of the grapes from each of these regions well what difference does it make if they get it from Chexoma, High Plains, Hill Country, and uh, Davis Mountain. And if they got 80% from Hill Country and 20% from Napa. Right,
1: like, yeah, exactly.
0: Like, what's the difference? Like, You know, they, these are very different regions. Just because it's in the artificial constructs of the government, which is like Texas is just – it's a bunch of lines on a map. Who cares? The, the AVAs are supposed to – infer terroir Mm -hmm. and terroir is a complicated topic and and we've covered this before but terroir is basically it's the summer it's a summary to summarize it it's the soil the envir the soil the weather the environment and the tradition or the uh, whatever the winemakers who touch the grapes, whatever they're doing, that's mm-hmm. that's terroir, I guess, basically, in a nutshell. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but we've covered it before, so you guys can go listen to the previous episodes. So the terroir is very specific to regions, and even can be very, very, very specific to subregions. I mean, we, we you and I talked about this earlier in the episode: is you've got left bank and right bank of Bordeaux, and mm-hmm. even on the left bank and right bank, there's a huge difference between the different the different areas on the left and right bank and you get very very different wines uh, a lot of that's impacted by tradition of the wine making but it's also impacted by terroir now the terroir of texoma and the terroir of hill country are are completely different is the weather is completely different it's way less humid up here or you know north of me than it is down in uh hill country hill country is very humid and mm-hmm. so they're going to have a lot of a, they're going to have a lot of different viticulture practices because they have to worry about a lot of different diseases that that uh, that even like high plains, for example, doesn't really have to worry about a lot of the rot that they're going to have to worry about down in hill country because they it's not as humid. So, yeah, it, it,
1: I mean, like this mm-hmm. is this is one of those things where like there's so much that like you know thinking about the left the difference between the left and right bank, like you're basically telling these people ahead of time like no 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 you have to completely change your standards to something we've just made up. Yeah, like
0: well, and this kind of that kind of gets into the last point. And the last point being, should legislatures of people who have no experience in winemaking, or or maybe maybe they, maybe a few of them have some, but should they be able to control viticulture practices and winemaking procedure when they don't actually have any experience in that?
1: Yeah, and that that's the thing is like, like what's the what's the basis of the idea here? It's like oh, we're 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 ready to show that you know, Texas is ready to compete on the international market. It's like, well, no, Texas is not yeah. like Texas doesn't have like a deep back pocket of grapes. So, you know, if a massive storm event happens, you could lose. Well, I mean, Texas is so large that it's possible that this wouldn't happen, but like, you know, a, you could have like an entire AVA de, you know, devastated by an event. Mm-hmm. To the point where there wasn't enough Texas grapes for them to replenish. Like, you know, in California, yeah. you could at least get some back stock from someone. Mm-hmm. But like well, in Texas, like you really don't have that, ba- that deep bench to back you up in case something happens. And now, right. like I needed like an extra hundred thousand pounds of, you know, whatever grape varietal. And now I, I can't get it because yeah. I risk tainting my entire line from being labeled as Texas wine. Whereas, you know, the, the people. Or specifically quoting from, you know, 70 sellers. They're like 100%. So they probably wouldn't take that bench, you know, loss yeah, yeah. to buy like grapes from Virginia or wherever else, but still.
0: Yeah, well, and also you, you think about it too—is that Texas is larger than France? So you've got one state that they're trying to enforce this law that requires one hundred percent, one hundred percent grapes from—and and maybe I'm maybe this is a counter, like as a counterpoint. I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't know if this is support or not support, but it's just very different than the world stage. It, it's mm-hmm. this is this is the new world. It's huge. Yeah, the
1: the whole point of like American wine is it doesn't have these bizarre intricacies that the Europeans tend to have that like, where they focus everything so highly, you know, they, they drive it down to this thing, you know, thing. Um, so just so you know, um, France is two twenty one thousand twenty one thousand 21,000 square miles less in area than Texas. Okay. So, but yeah, like that, like the, the idea that you would, be like, oh, we we want to compete in the international market, so we're going to handicap our people on how they can label themselves, and. You know people might come back and you know this is one of those things that you and I talk a lot about this, and there are people who come back and be like, blah blah blah, what oh, it's just a label. well, the label has to be approved by a government rep, like one level of the federal government, now you're putting specific label like restrictions on these things, like on what these people can do and how they label like um um our friend John, and i, I can never pronounce his name
0: correctly uh Debbie um, Danius,
1: yeah. Like, let's say that in an instance that he could have gotten some, you know, um, Washington grapes for making Pinot Noir and stuff like that, and he needed to round it out because, like, Oregon had a lot of fire damage. Like, now, like, so are we saying, like, he can't label it as Oregon? Like, even if it's 95% that way, like, this would, like, stop him from being able to do that. And he'd have to create different labels and get different approvals. I mean, yeah. it's a like it, and it for
0: for a small wine producer, impact. that's yeah exactly. Especially for a small Im- wine producer like that, is that like this is this is not like it, it's not as trivial as a lot of people think. It, it it does have a huge impact. And besides that, there is already a a label program that's private that is mm-hmm. that is that for something like a dollar a case or something like that, which is a case is twelve bottles. Some, something like a dollar a case and only up to the first two hundred cases. You can get this special, like trademarked label that's that's 100% Texas certified, right? Mm -hmm. So they have a certification program already. But and what's funny is that the Texas Wine Growers Association kind of rejected that in favor of legislation. Yeah, and the you know this this label has been has been in the works since I think 2016 or maybe even earlier than that, 2015 maybe. And they've been, they've been pushing this and a lot of the, a lot of the winemakers who were against it support this legislation. So, so what? Is, you know, I, I don't like to attribute uh motive to people, but what is the, what's the motive to, to force everybody else to do the same thing you're doing? Do you not have confidence in the Texas grapes? Is that the problem? Yeah.
1: Like that's the, the question is like, who, who wins out on this? Yeah. Like, does the Texas Wine Grower Association have some sort of thing where like, let's say that, um, you know, Jacob, you and I, uh, I moved to Texas Mm -hmm. and let's just pretend Louisiana has like a huge grape production thing. But like nobody buys Louisiana wine because nobody's ever heard of it. Right. So we buy all the grapes from Louisiana and then we're making wine in Texas and we want to call it Texas wine. We're not saying it's 100% Texas grown. You know, we're not falsifying anything like yeah, that right but now it's like okay well we fermented it here we picked the blending here we did everything you know all of that stuff suddenly like okay we can't even do that so
0: right yeah it, it is a weird it's a it's a very strange thing and i and i do i to some degree i do understand both sides of it other than the side that supports the bill mm-hmm. and and that is that why would you force your you know compatriots in winemaking to take on an additional burden of of this new compliance that they didn't have before, I, and this is the thing is is that also again kind of going back to that case where people think it, don't think it's a big deal. It's not only that you can't label your wine Texas, it's that now you have to go through an additional level of compliance, and compliance yeah. is
1: expensive. And and it's not like it's not like you just fill out a form that you downloaded from the internet and then just have it on file in case they show up, right? And go okay. No, you have to prove to somebody. This is creating a job for somebody Yeah, to go out and look into this and enforce it and have mechanisms for people to be sued for possible infractions. I mean, and like, yes, like you and I would definitely agree from a, just two people who are very into data science, like you would want to be keeping track of where your grapes came from to the micro level. Right. But now you have to do it. And you have to have these records to be able to turn over. It's just this, like,
0: yeah, it's very desire to
1: produce data. It's yeah. So weird.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I have a I have a friend of the family who um, I would love to have on the show at some point if I can if I can work it out. Oh, she's a huge lefty, so she may not want to be on our show. But yeah. <laughs> but she makes wine in the San Francisco area or, mm-hmm. or uh, Sacramento area. I'm sorry. And um, the regulations for them is is very onerous. Now that they, mm-hmm. now they're big hardcore lefties, so they support them still. But it, it's it's an enormous cost. Like I was talking to her at my sister's baby shower when I was out, when I was out in California, and just asked her about it. I was like, well, what is what what exactly goes into it? She's like, well, we have we don't have to pay too much because we're just a wine of California, but uh, so we don't have any sort of AVA labeling. But mm-hmm. but it's it's expensive. It's, she says we do have to make sure that we have only grapes from California, and there are inspections and we do have to comply with those and it's at our our own expense and you know they kind of started it as a hobby and they and they like doing it but it does add a cost mm-hmm. and uh and so when if you want to get you know i'm going down next weekend to plant grapes with uh, a new a new uh grape grower in texas mm-hmm. and um and I think it's going to be a really great experience. You guys, you should, you should tune into the future episodes because I'm going to kind of recount the experience. I think it's going to be really fun. But this is an additional cost to him, for example. So he's just starting out. He's a young guy. He's younger than you and me. And he's trying to get a new vineyard going and winery associated with the vineyard eventually. Well, what if he has a bad year? And yeah. it, and it, and it just so happens that grabbing, you know, picking up some grapes from California, for example, who has, you know, one year has a really great year. Or you know what? Actually, another good example. This is this is a total globalization thing, but remember we did that article not too long ago where Britain had such a good year for wine production that they had they had so many grapes that they couldn't process them all. Mm-hmm. So imagine they have this huge glut of grapes in Britain. Texas has a drought, and we don't have a good production here, and Britain offers to offload those grapes at a severe discount to Texas growers, or to Texas winemakers, for Mm -hmm. a huge discount, refrigerated ship, shipped down here, shipped down to Houston, one of the largest ports in the country, trucks them all out to all the wineries, they make one of the best vintages of all time out of these British grapes that, you know, from a glut or whatever, mixed in with their Texas grapes, how is that not Mm -hmm. a Texas wine? That is American ingenuity right there. This is that we figured it out, we imported this crap from Britain, we turned it into gold, and then we sold exactly. it. That's America.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is like one of the things that this like we didn't even touch on is how much this babies the consumer.
0: Yeah. Exactly, and
1: just basically shows that the consumer is not responsible for doing their own research. That somehow, that and this is kind of one of those things. It's like, well, the federal regulations for the AVA that said we could be seventy five percent or whatever, whatever the percentage is, isn't enough. Yeah, it's like no, like as a like to you and me, like providing labeling and in providing information is just a benefit mm-hmm. because like you and i are still new enough that we were like oh this is part louisiana and grapes maybe this will be really good let's try it yeah we're not going to turn away from it because of it Like we want to know, we want to see these things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? And so anyways, that's a, that's a great place to kind of wrap up on this because we're running out of time, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think Texas has a lot of really exciting stuff coming out. I really hope that this type of legislation does not um, basically does does not pass. pass. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, hopefully it doesn't pass. And if it does pass, I'm sure, you know, it's hard to tell one way or the other, but if it does pass, I really hope it doesn't impact the Texas wine, uh, the Texas wine industry because, well not not terribly because i think there's a lot of really great stuff coming out of texas i think texas is finally well i don't really have a lot of past experience but i think they're discovering their niche of winemaking that they they're, they, they're, they,
1: they're, they're discovering their terroir
0: yeah yeah exactly they're, they're discovering they're the terroir the,
1: they're they're getting the foot of like mm. understanding and knowing what their soil and what their environment does to the grape
0: yeah yeah exactly and what don't and what need grapes any hindrance. yeah what grapes grow here really well Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading this really good book. Let me look it up real quick. I, I'll cut out the pause, but I just want to—I just want to actually get the title of the book correct.
1: Yeah. <coughs> well, while you're looking up the title mm-hmm. of the book, I'm going to do some plugs. Okay. So, if you haven't caught it, you can follow Jacob's adventures on Twitter. Two places: Childerberg. So, C H I L D. uh, Oh my goodness, I B-U-R-G. Really
0: B-U-R-G.
1: C-I-L-D-E-R. B-U-R-G. Yeah. Childerberg. Um you can follow Jacob's adventures on our wonderful libertarian meetup in the wonderful government-made lake in Texas. Yeah. Um, or you can follow Jacob again, you know, posting things about tasting anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, tasting anarchy on Twitter. Yeah. You can follow or check out our beautiful redone website, tastinganarchy.com. And if you want to see Jacob or I, well, Jacob's been a guest twice on the Friends Against Government. That's right. Who are the co sponsor of Childerberg. Mm -hmm. And then we both have appeared on Sounds Like Liberty. And OG, apparently only one month out from Tom Woods, Mark Clare, He was our most recent guest. Wonderful guy. Hopefully we'll have him back again. Um, But yeah, the Lions of Liberty. I mean, you know, maybe one day we'll be able to get Brian and uh, John or. Odie Matt on, um, which would be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. Or get all three of them out for uh, Childerberg, and...
0: Ghosts. And also, you and I have got plans at some point to go into Virginia wine country and talk to Howie Snowden, who's a who's a, the godfather mm-hmm. of their libertarianism. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I think that that'll be good. So I, I looked at the book. These would actually be great people to have on. The, the book is called The History of Texas Wine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very, very simple title. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by Catherine Crane and Neil Crane. I don't. Oh, I do recall the point. So, so one of the, one of the points that they made in this was that when when some in the sixties and seventies, when people were first starting to uh, start growing grapes in Texas, they kind of discovered, hey, you can do it here. There there was some people up in the Texas High Plains that were just doing mass grapes, and they were they would sell them as just kind of filler for other mm-hmm. other winemakers. Then there were some people who were like, can we make good wine here? And it took a long time for them to discover what the Terroir of Texas was good for. So they they would hire these consultants from like Napa, or Sonoma, or wherever, who would tell them, "Oh, you know, plant these Cabernet Sauvignon, plant um, you know Merlot, plant these different things that are you know Chardonnay that grow really or that sell really well." That was their mm-hmm. that was always their argument. Well, this sells well and make money, <laughs> yeah, make money. But it didn't grow well here, and it took mm-hmm. it took time for people to realize that. Texas is more suited for really unique vignette, uh, really great Tempranillo, good Syrah. Uh, I mean, Zinfandel does well here, actually, I think, at least. Syrah is... Mm -hmm. I'm not really a huge fan of Syrah in general, but Syrah, I think, does well here as far as Syrah goes. Uh, But the... There's just a lot of really interesting stuff coming out of Texas. I think that it's a, a place to watch. I am incredibly biased because I live here, but I think that because I lived in Virginia, had sampled quite a few Virginia wines. I also used to live in California, and when I go back there, I sample a lot of California wines. Everybody samples mm-hmm. California wines because it's California, and exactly. that's like the big the big American wine area. But you know, don't discount places like Texas. Texas is growing big. It's going to be. It's got so such different areas that produce such interesting things, Uh, and and don't discount other don't discount other kind of minor areas. I was reading recently in this in another book I'm reading called uh, Godforsaken Grapes Mm -hmm. that apparently like South New Jersey has one of the best production areas for uh, Bordeaux style wines.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, not only South New Jersey, but like if you live locally and people are producing wine locally, try it. We're not saying that's gotta be your, the only wine you drink, but give it a shot.
0: Yeah, exactly. Give it a shot. You know, we, we, we talked to Pepper a couple of episodes ago. They're apparently mm-hmm. doing some really cool stuff in Indiana. I wouldn't have even thought of Indiana, but yeah, you know, if, I if know you either. yeah, if you're, if you, if you have a, if you have the local winery, go check it out and then hit us up, hit us up at tasting anarchy on Twitter and tell us what you're trying. If I can get a bottle of it, I'll get a bottle of it and review it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I think that's a great place to close. Mason, do you have anything else you want to say? I don't. All right. Other than stay free. All right, everybody, stay free. Once a year, the world's power brokers meet in secret at a heavily secured facility and discuss the fate of regular people like you. This meeting is known as the build But you don't have to worry about that because you're going to Childeburg. Childeburg is the premier gathering of free folk in Texas, held at the beautiful Black Rock Park on the banks of refreshing Buchanan Lake in Iano County. Childeburg 2019, June 8th and 9th. Chill in the lake. Make new friends with liberty lovers like you. Enjoy camping in the great outdoors. Hop in the wine van and visit the local wineries. Participate in podcasting magic and much, much more. Email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com or reach out to us at childeberg on Twitter for additional details. Childeberg 2019, June 8th and 9th. I'll see you there.